0: Well, hello and good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point. It is Monday, September the 26th, 2022, and uh, we got a full uh, house here today uh, at Monday Main Point. Um, I'm here. I'm, I'm the associate pastor. of Jonathan Hendrickson here uh, at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. And uh, we've also got Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor. Blake Flincham, our children's pastor, Katrina Redmond's back with us again, our our minister of congregational care. And of course, Jeff McCarthy, our senior pastor, is here too. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a great day uh, on the podcast. We're going to talk today um, about yesterday's service, which is what we always do on Monday, main point. But yesterday was a little bit different because, um, as I told you on our last podcast, um, I, uh, yesterday I was giving a report on a trip that I just took uh, a couple weeks ago uh, to Armenia, um, and so uh, I shared with the church yesterday um, the report from that trip, like a little bit about Armenia. I uh, talked about what we did while we were there, and then I talked told a couple of stories about how God really used us um, while while we were there, and and in connection with that, one of the ways that Honestly, the way, um, the, 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 the most powerful thing that happened while I was there was um, when I was asked to speak on the last day that, uh, of the conference, and I was the last speaker to go. And the message that God had given me for that day was uh, just tailor-made for that day um, in ways that I hadn't, I hadn't even anticipated. And it was just really cool to see how God was at work in that, and so I shared that message um, as well yesterday, sort of um, because I wanted—I still wanted to be able to share Scripture yesterday and, and share share a message from God's Word, and so um, so yeah, I chose to do that. And so there's a lot of ways we could go here, but what I thought we would do, and what I thought might be fun and, and interesting, is. Just do like a little bit of a QA and a about Armenia, about the mission trip. If you guys have questions or you think things, even if you don't have a question, you think it's something that maybe somebody would like to know about, about the trip, you can ask me and we can talk a little bit about that. And then we'll use the last part of the podcast to talk a little bit more about understanding suffering, which was sort of the subject of my message yesterday. Um, but it was a brief message and not enough to do a whole podcast on I don't think. So, um, so anyway, questions about Armenia? I'll, I'll just open up the panel here
1: yeah I got a couple questions so awesome. when, go ahead when um y'all were everybody on the team was teaching the uh, Armenian pastors and the brothers from the south or the, at that pastor's conference
2: yeah
1: um what all topics did everybody teach on like were, were there a wide range or did everybody kind of focus on that uh suffering or what were the what were the why, what? no were the that, that's a really
0: good question actually um when we were most of the people who went with us, um, were pastors <clears throat> of some, some. Well, we were all pastors. We all we all served as in pastoral ministry. Some of them were senior pastors, especially the ones that came from YBA. And so, a lot of theirs was more focused on. Um, uh, they did more of a more of a preaching, teaching kind of thing. So it wasn't as much like with with me. I'm coming at it from from. Professor kind of standpoint, and teach them on on apologetics because that's what I that's what I do. These guys aren't all academics. I mean, they're smart. Don't get me wrong; but they're, they're very intelligent, but they're but they're not they're not their their ministry is not as academic as, as what mine is. And so, um, they they would most of them would preach, but they were preaching and teaching at the same time. And so they we were when we were talking with pastors or people that we thought might one day be lay leaders. There was a lot of emphasis on call um, and and understanding the call um, there was emphasis on um, a lot of emphasis on the call to make disciples mm-hmm. like um, and how important it is to make disciples um, a big emphasis on um, m- missions but um like, for instance, Marty uh, spoke, to, uh, spoke to one of the groups about the difference between presence and proclamation. And it was really good, actually. Um, and he was trying to explain, we can feed hungry people, we can clothe people who, who don't have clothing, we can do all these good things, but if we don't tell people, about Jesus, if we don't ever proclaim the gospel, then we, we, we're, we're missing him. Because being present with people and even bringing God's presence into people is not the same thing as proclamation. Um, and so he was encouraging them to proclaim. And this was especially with, that message was uh, he had prepared for the brothers from the South. And one of the guys from the South that I had connected with, I spoke to him during the coffee break afterwards, and um, he came to me, and I was like, "Hey, are you getting you know, are you getting a lot from this?" He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "I was just sitting thinking, you know, about proclamation." He goes, "It's very difficult where I'm at, and I'm wondering how can I do it." Um, and he said, "You know, I, I know I need to do that, but I'm not sure how to do it." And He said, "Because I can't just go and speak where I'm at because that's very dangerous." But I'm thinking maybe if I'm present with people and I gain trust and I can trust them little by little, I can get to the point where I can proclaim.
3: See, that's and, what the ministry of chaplaincy does. And that's what's really um, neat about it. It's it's proclamation with permission. So mm-hmm. once people see your actions and see how you reflect christ yeah they'll ask why do you do these things and and how can you give this much energy and time to it and that gives you the door the open door that that gives you a platform to share yeah
2: yeah well and it just kind of works the same way with us too i mean it's that relationship ministry evangelism where you don't really want to come right out heavy-handed unless unless the holy spirit just really knocks you out and says you've got to tell that person right now right it's about building those relationships so that you do have that opportunity when the time comes to share. So even his context being, it would be deadly
0: to do that. Right here, it's not deadly, but so many people don't do don't take
2: that step. So that was really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so there was there was a lot of talk about that sort of thing. I know um, Rick Langston when we when we went to, to speak to the Armenian pastors, um, he spoke to them uh, from the passage of the woman at the well. And he he was pointing out how she really is one of the first missionaries that we see. And it's interesting because Jesus, she has an encounter with Jesus that causes her to immediately go into the town and tell everybody in town about it. He said, I'll point out, the disciples also went into town, but they went into town. Jesus sent them into town, but you don't see them bringing back people to Jesus. Exactly. But the person who had an encounter with Jesus brought people back to Jesus, and so it was messages like that that could help encourage them um, uh, in, in pastoral ministry. I, I know one of the AMSs spoke to uh, spoke to both groups about dealing with discouragement mm. and dealing with def, uh, you know defeat. Um, in particular, they're uh, looking at Elijah and how Jezebel was going to come was coming after him and. What what his attitude was in light of that. So those are some of the topics that they, that that were talked on. Um, uh, you know, things on a lot of it was more focused on evangelism and discipleship. Um, uh, understanding how to read the Bible. There was a little bit of that. We did a little bit of hermeneutics with them. Um, and then um, one of our guys was there, and he was a more academic. There were two guys that actually went with us who were uh, who. Taught at while we were while we were ministering to the brothers from the south, they were actually teaching at the Armenian Baptist Seminary a course, um, and they they that those guys were going to get course credit for. Hmm. And um, those guys came and they they eventually got to teach the both groups too. And their focus their focus was more one one was focused on the call and understanding the call. One was focused on deacon ministry. And, 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 and cause he had, he'd written a book on training deacons and stuff that they translated into Armenian and they gave every Armenian pastor a copy. Of oh, that's it. awesome. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, they republished it there in their Armenian, Ar- in Armenian language. Awesome. So yeah, it's really cool. It's called the nuts and bolts of deacon ministry. And, uh, Keith Dixon is the one that wrote that with another guy and they, they Translated into Armenia so they could give it to the Armenian pastors so they could use it to train their deacons. So, yeah, that's some of the other topics. That's a great question, though. Great question.
2: Hey, on the video, uh-huh, you had a you showed a, a bunch of ladies making like they were making biscuits, and I looked at it, I hope I went, oh, that's the Armenian bojangles. <laughs> so was that like a bakery or something? So see?
0: yeah, so that that video clip uh, that that's actually the that's neat what, the, what you what you saw them doing there. It's called. um, It's. They. They eat a lot of bread, so they eat lots of bread and lots of cheese. If you're, if you love carbs, man, (laughs) you need to go. Need to go. Bread, cheese, and butter, man. They. They love it. Every meal we have, bread and cheese. You know, but they. they make a special bread in Armenia called lavage, and so that was at a food court. It was. It's. uh, It's a food court slash supermarket. It's massive and they're over here making bread, like in the bakery, right? Mm-hmm. They're making lavage, but they're also making other kinds of bread. And you, what you can't see is there's a, if you think like uh, think kind of like Golden, if Golden Corral and Harris Teeter got together, like a grocery mm-hmm. store got together, but make it way bigger. So there was this huge like line of things and they're fresh cooking all this stuff, but there's things that you can go buy and you can go, I want that, and they'll cook it for you and then you, you can order it order it like a food court kind of thing. So there's kebabs and there's there's side dishes and salads and desserts and just huge long line of all this all these foods and stuff that you just go and pick. So at the start of that is that bakery section there. But they're making lavage and here's what they do, Jeff. They, they actually, they, they take, you can see her rolling the bread. Yeah. They roll really, really, really super thin. And they've got these pits. I don't know if you can see them or not. There's a, there's fire pits that are dug into the floor, like a hole dug in the floor. It's a fire pit. And it's deep. It's like this. And there if you that's
2: look at about three feet deep. Yeah, if oh that's right. <laughs> if you're not watching on the yeah, you uh, can't <laughs> see. It's maybe about three. Good, good
0: call, good call. So it's about three feet deep. Um and then they take the they take the thin bread and they place it on like these little padded cushions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you saw her do that. You take the thin bread and put it on these padded cushions. They put the they take their cushion and they slam it against the side of that pit pit wall. And the bread sticks to the pit wall and they leave it on there for about two minutes, one or two minutes, not long at all, and pull it off and it's like grilled bread. Wow. It's real thin grilled bread. That you can kind of roll into roll into uh, rolls, or you can kind of fold it over into like a burrito kind of thing. You can load it up with meat and and cheese, and 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 or at breakfast it's really good. You can smear some apricot preserves on that and and eat it. Or we would take pieces of ham and some some uh, an egg and stuff and kind of just roll it up and make a breakfast sandwich out of it. Lavage is incredibly good. It's very very good. So that's the bread that you saw them make, and so. That's a that that's something that they do at um, a lot of the different the, the, the different um, food marts and stuff you'll see. And then there's bakeries where they're just there. There's always lavage pits. Um, yeah, that's 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 their thing. So and that's a good, good question too. Well, um,
2: do you know that there was a lot of um, interchange between the Armenians that were scattered throughout the world, or, or a lot of them coming back and? Interchanging with each other or they just pretty much become Americanized or French or whatever and there's no more connections?
0: Well, you know, it's funny the, the on the plane ride from Paris to Yerevan, um, I actually sat next to a couple from Los Angeles. She is American, born in America, but she married an Armenian man. He was raised in Armenia until he was like eight, I think. And then he was brought over to Los Angeles. And he goes back to Armenia. They were on their way to Armenia. They were going to be staying there for quite some time, actually. Um, and he's a musician. So I think that there are some who are who have gone away. They come back maybe to visit and all, but they don't stay there. Truth, truth be told, there's just not enough industry in Armenia to sustain them right now. There's not... Um, The people who are coming, you know, I'd I'd read an article before I went that they're getting a lot of Russian refugees or Russian immigrants into Armenia, and especially in the IT field. And I thought, oh, that must mean that Armenia is full of, uh, you know, lots of computer jobs and, and IT jobs. But no, what's happening is these guys can work remotely and they don't want to be in Russia. And so they're coming to Armenia. Armenia, it's much cheaper to live there. And they can work remotely and so they're coming and doing that a lot of the people I spoke to in Armenia who have jobs have jobs working in um, in like data entry and stuff like that things that, again that are remote um, because there's just Armenia itself doesn't have much industry um, it's a very it's, it's poor it's not third-world poor if you, if you go downtown in Yerevan and you could see, like, all the trees and the fountains and, oh, that's pretty, you know, and all that, that's great. But when you're driving through Armenia, it, it looks very much like 1965 Soviet is, is what you're looking at. Very bleak, very, very bleak <clears throat> brick buildings that are big, tall brick apartment buildings that are nondescript. Um, they, they have no, <laughs> no, no aesthetic to them at all. Um, that's what you see in Armenia, because it was the Soviets have been in there and, and it's clear that they had had an influence on them and their architecture and all like that and so um, where the Armenians have built like their own city plaza and stuff like that it looks more like what they would want but the vast majority of Armenian buildings even the seminary we stayed in a very very sort of nondescript kind of you know um, well, actually, the seminary was nice. The, the the building across from the seminary there was an apartment building, and it was just a rectangular brick. I mean, it, literally just a brick rectangle. <laughs> it's like nothing nothing special about it. And um, so you, you, know, it's it, it's poor. They'll tell you that the pastors there just live poor as church mice. They're they're, they're very poor. Um, so they don't they don't make a lot of money, and and so there's not a lot of industry. So no, I don't think that. To go back to your question, the, the the Armenian diaspora that happened, they're building back up. And if you look at that graphic, they're to the point where they're getting close to I think three million in their own country, but there's still eight to ten million of them that are outside because they went from seven million to five hundred thousand during Armenian genocide. Yeah.
1: So is it like a so it wouldn't be like a first world country, but is it considered third world or? Or is it considered first world? Or?
0: I don't know that I would call it first world, and I, it's it's not third world. Like when we think of third world, we think of you know I I, I go back to when I went to Belize or right. Haiti or something like that. Right? It's not quite that poor. People aren't living in sheds, you know. Um, but it's close. I mean, it's it's they're, they're poor. They're, they're, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of I said not a lot of industry. There's buildings there, but they're not. I mean, there's a few places. There's very there, there are there are, there are supermarkets and we we, went, we would go to we walk down to a grocery store, but on the way to the grocery store you could look and see that there was a lot of other buildings there that weren't really well kept, um, a lot of storefronts that weren't really well kept up and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I would I, I wouldn't call it first world, and it depends on what you want to define as first world. I think of us as first world. They're not us, not by a long shot. I mean we. We are. We have way more money and luxuries and conveniences than they do, but they 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 got internet. You know, they've got they've got. You know, I could get internet was yeah. Cell service is fine there. You know, know, I I I got good cell service while I was there. Um. So, yeah.
2: All right. So uh, you mentioned about the um, Christian and name only. They come to be baptized when they're an infant, and then they bring their children. So. Is are they more Eastern Orthodox, Catholic, or what what would be the considered the the state church or whatever they are? Yeah,
4: so
0: the state church is the Armenian Apostolic Church. Um and so um the best I can figure, and this came from the conversation, this came from two conversations I had, one with the with the people on the plane, because that guy That guy's father was a priest in the Apostolic in Armenian Apostolic Church, and so, but it was clear to me that they weren't really. (laughs) She 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 couldn't tell me a whole lot about what they believe, and just based on my conversation with her, um, she said, you know, they believe they believe the same the same doctrine that we believe, um, but and there's not now the different the the difference between them and like say the Catholics is there's no. there's no none of the iconography and stuff like that they don't they don't they don't do the relics and all, all like that they, they don't they don't have that but they do apparently still pray to saints like like the the Catholics do if you saw when I went into some of those Ar- 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 Armenian chapels um, in the video you could see there's 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 pictures of saints and they've got candles they'll look going mm-hmm. and light candles and stuff so I would say it's probably more orth- closer to Eastern Orthodox because I think that's where they got their stuff than it is to Roman Catholic. But as to what they really believe, I, it's it's kind of hard to say. What Asseter told me is that they don't they don't believe in like um, like supernatural relics or, or icons and things like that. They don't believe in that sort of thing, but that's been brought into it um, by other people. So. You know, it's uh, and 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 there's not enough dev, what I would call devout Armenian apostolics to to really. So so these guys were telling us that like when they would say um, you know are you Christian everybody says yes <laughs> and so it's hard to convince them that they're not Christian because to be not Christian is to be not Armenian and you think about it I didn't get in I meant to get into this a little more and I didn't but. The reason why they're so fiercely uh, Christian and Armenian is because the persecution they endured from the Turks was because of their Christianity, because they were claiming Christ. Right. And, and, and the, the, the Turks were Muslims, right. and they didn't like that about them. They saw them as lesser thans, and they persecuted them for a long time, and then they just decided to massacre them um, and, and, and just take their land over. And so, um, so the persecution they endured was because of their, because their, their devotion to Christ and devotion to the teachings of Christ. And then, you know, they, they celebrated. I, I'm reading a book right now called, uh, it's, about, it's, it's the memoir of a girl who was, um, she was a teenager in, uh, in Armenia at the time of the Armenian genocides. And she managed to escape. Um, after some time, rather miraculously, and was brought to the United States and then told her story to others that were there and um, said people need to hear what's going on. And she she believed that God had preserved her for her to spread her message. Um, And um, so these are her memoirs. They actually made a movie. We've never seen it. It's called The Auction of Souls. They made a movie based on back in those days, back when they we're talking like 19, 19, 1918, 1920s, somewhere around there. They made a black and white film based on star. She, she played the, her own, herself in the movie. Um, and um, it was a black and white film that they made with, with the best that they had to offer at the time. Um, and it got some play. And it was a way to get the message out about what was going on in Armenia back to the, back to the United States and elsewhere. Um, but they were in reading her memoir. They were so they they still celebrated Easter. You know they 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 were. Uh, it was on um, Easter Sunday when they first started the genocides against them, and apparently, according to her story. And um, so yeah, from what I can tell. Maybe Armenia at one time was a little more devout in the Eastern Orthodox kind of way, but over time has sort of—they're you know much like the Europeans right with with Catholicism. They would call themselves Roman Catholic, but they're really Roman Catholic in name only. So that's kind of how I—it's kind of how these are too. But like I said, the persecution—it's different even with the Roman Catholics, and it's different even here in the states because there's something that unites them together. They all endured persecution for being Christian. So now, to be Armenian is to be Christian, and to say, well, you're not Christian, would be to say, no, you're not Armenian. And it's very hard to get them to understand that. Mm. Um, And so that's the challenge that that the Armenian pastors face. And they say it's a real real difficulty.
4: Yeah, and that, for me, probably sits the best with American culture, like as far as ties into how we think. And I think we're post that. so I think that was 20 years ago, America. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just steal his story. So one of my professor friends, Dr. Bandy, uh, he grew up and he he was not a believer. His family didn't really push that. they They weren't Christians, but he grew up in Washington d c, where there was a lot of like diplomats. Uh, kids and and immigrants and just just a very uh diverse pop- populated area and he says he remembers being on the playground and they were talking religion and he was the only one that looked like him mm-hmm. um, and he's like guys i don't I don't really know what I am well the other kids started asking him questions like were you born in America he was born in uh His family in North Carolina, I think he was born... I don't know why, I can't remember where he was born. But he was born in America. Uh It's like, you live with both of your parents. Both of your parents are white. And then they told him, oh, you're Christian. (laughs) And so he believed that for a while. Wow. Just because he was American and Christian. So they equated... Because he had a mother and a father and he was white. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. And because he grew up in America. And so they were like, oh, you're a Christian. And so he... He from that point on just assumed he was a Christian. That's what he was supposed to believe. Wow. Yeah. Um, and of course, he finds out later he's not, right. and that's not what it means, and it should be divorced. And so, uh, and that was just he's probably forty-five to fifty in that range. Mm-hmm. So we're just talking forty years ago, or probably thirty-five years ago in America. And I remember it still being kind of a thing when I was growing up. Is like. Oh, if you're American, you're Christian, mm-hmm. and I think we're probably in that post-Christian America, kind of like what France is and Europe is now. Yeah, um, but it's still kind of an alive, especially like American Republicans and, and tied to right, right, tied to Christianity.
0: There, there is there is some of that here for sure. Like I said, the only the the biggest difference is the fact that people haven't been persecuted yet for being. American Christians, yeah. quote in quotation marks, if they had imagine imagine if if you know imagine if um, well imagine go back to September 11th. That's a really good example in some ways. A lot of people, you know, because that was a Muslim country that attacked us, the American Christians, right? And if if, if those attacks had 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 been Followed up with, with more and more attacks and we felt like, oh, they're attacking us because we're God, because we believe in God and we, we we're Christians. Then suddenly lots of people who have never made a decision to follow Christ would call themselves Christians and you would it would be part of your American pride to, mm-hmm. to, to, to wear that. That and then think about how hard it would be to get them to divorce those things. That's that's the that's the deal that Armenians. did.
2: I guess put. the closest we came to it was during the Cold War uh, with Russia mm-hmm. in back in the fifties. That's mm-hmm. when really, you know, In God We Trust became the right. motto put on the uh, uh, on the coins, and then uh, One Nation Under God was put on the in the American flag, right? You know, quote. So there was a kind of a melding of that. Even though, when you look at uh, what happened in WW Two, uh, you know it was American Jews fighting along with American Christians mm-hmm. and, and 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 atheists or whoever they were all fighting <clears throat> for a cause. But for many people, the cause was you know God and country. Yeah. So um, I think I think um, I think we realize uh, now because. Uh, we understand it better, is that we're Christians. Our identity is, if I'm a Christian and I put my faith and trust in Christ, then that's who I am. Right. And if I'm in America, or if I'm in Israel, or if I'm in Haiti, and I'm a believer, I'm a believer. Right, right. And so, like, you went on a mission trip, you're a believer who's following Christ,
3: you happen to be from America, but you're
2: over there trying to help people yeah. become believers. So I think we've done a lot of good work of, mm-hmm. of kind of separating that identity out, where, um, you know, because there's no such thing as a Christian nation. A, a, yeah, a, a government can't be saved, an institution can't be saved, only people can. Yeah. And that, the Puritans and all, when they first came to America, tried to um, instill that. And in right. like a lot of the states were. Had state churches and all that, yeah. And they try to legislate it and try to impose it, and in the Baptists, which which we are, right, were the the ones that said no. It's freedom of religion. Everybody should have a right to choose, mm-hmm. and we're not going to enforce force anybody to accept ours, but we don't want anybody to force us either. Yeah. so that's why we believe in freedom of religion. I, I think that's where we need to get back to as yeah. Baptists being more of a spokesperson for that viewpoint as opposed to. Trying to meld it together.
0: I, I really like I, I like what you just said about that there's no such thing as a Christian nation because I think that that's a real problem. We we, we, we use that 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 uh, that language a lot in America. I mean, growing up, that's all I ever heard was America's a Christian. Well, like nation. even
2: like Muslim nations, they claim to be, but they don't want to get their head cut off. Right. So yeah.
0: Right. But most of them aren't practicing either. Right. But so so like um, you know people who say well we're a christian you know we're a christian we're no longer a christian nation and it's like well no you never really were because there's no there's no such thing and and i think it's a, it's good to divorce our our christianity from our nationalism not that it's a bad thing to be nationalistic patriotic that's fine but i don't think that those two things need to be melded together you're right so yeah that's 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 a really good point um uh, any other questions about uh armenia and the trip i mean yeah go ahead
3: yeah I've got a question one of the things that I noticed um, in the videos that you showed
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, it was it was an all-male team that went but in the videos you also in the pictures you took you took pictures of the meal and and the mm-hmm. abundance at the meal and you talked about their hospitality yep. and I noticed in the service there were many women and that were worshiping very fervently they, they um, were uh, participating a lot in the service and so um, what I was curious about was what were your interactions like with the women? Because I think that's important because, you know, as women, we tend to think, oh, well, I'll just go to be that presence you were talking about before and, and just be kind and do work. But proclamation is a part of mission work and and women um, are called to do that as well. So, so what was your experience with the women there?
0: So, so to, um, to begin, a, a big part of this was, as you noted, all male team. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, and we're all staying in in the in the dorms of the seminary together. The only women that were in the seminary dorm were was the were the ones who cooked for us. They couldn't speak really good English, and so we didn't get a chance to interact with them. And they really don't talk to the men much. Mm-hmm. Um, they. It's it's not that they they're they're um, it's not like uh, in some countries where they're not allowed to. It's just that culturally conventionally they don't speak to the men much, um, and so um, even when I went and spoke when I when I preached at Ostrach Baptist um, was probably the first time I'd I've, I've been around a lot of women at the same time and they're mixed in with the men they're sitting with their husbands and stuff and all like that they're worshiping there was a woman who was playing piano and and helping to lead worship um my translator um it was was female uh, at, at that church so she uh, she my translator for was a female named nelly she was there um and so so women have a role and, and i and i did get a chance to talk with them afterwards but what's funny is is as soon as the service was over As soon as we dismissed, Mm -hmm. all the women went over here to this side and all the men populated to this side. And it reminded me of like growing up. I mean, that's the way growing up in a Southern Baptist church in in, in Southeast Kentucky. That's just what you would see happen all the time. All the women kind of congregate over here (laughs) and all the men come over here and they're talking about, you know, the, their latest hunting trip or whatever, you know, and the women are all over here, and the two just, it's not because they're not allowed to talk to each other. They just choose to congregate together right. in, the, in those gender groups. They and have so,
3: common ground, and I think that's an important thing to mention because we want people to continue going, and we want our ladies to know there's opportunities for you to have that common ground well, absolutely. across the uh, ocean and and to be God's light. Uh, for a people group that's really hurting and and thirsty
0: absolutely in fact um they've had they the, um, the the Baptist on Mission have sent women to do women's conferences there too right so there, there, there is a need for that um in fact I you know I'm glad you bring that up because one of the things I didn't get a chance to talk a lot about yesterday that I wish I would spent a little bit of time on I kinda mentioned it briefly but this was a visioning trip for us mm-hmm. and we were trying to figure out okay can, how can we come back and 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 connect our churches here in YBA, in the Yates Baptist so- Association, with what's going on in Armenia? And where are some places we can serve? And so to that end, Asadur would take us to all these different churches that were getting ready to build buildings. They were working on, um, um, you know, they're building a, um, they're right now, they're building, uh, finishing up, a building where they're going to house uh, students and families for camps and stuff mm-hmm. that are going to be there. Uh, eventually, that conference center where we did the pastor's conference is going to be sort of a hub for doing um, all kinds of things and families can come there. Um, they, they do like kids camps. They do. They, they want churches like like Rose of Sharon could send a church could send a delegation to go there and do a VBS, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's and so and, and in doing that, bringing a, a multi a, a multi gendered team to go and do that sort of right. thing.
2: Right. Yeah. They they're available. This just didn't happen to be one. Right. We were doing Becky and Carolyn's been all over, and we've had Brenda and Mike.
0: Uh, well, I think so we've had tons of
2: women go. Well, this, the,
0: the, the big thing here was it was a pastors' conference, yeah. and, right. and so and so pastors there are all male right. in the Baptist church there. Right. They're very, uh, in fact, you have to be in the Armenian Baptist that the, they they insist that you actually be married. Um, so you actually have to be married. So. Um, they they have a they have a kind of different way of looking Thorpe at that. I can't <laughs> <get it out. laughs> yeah, you could be Feels a pastor. my chances of going to Armenia. <laughs> you could be no, you, you could you don't have to be married <laughs> okay. to, to, to minister there, but but they, um, to be a pastor in their churches, they they okay. want you to be married. To that. Um, so so there is, uh, but there that's a great question and, and one that if you looked at the video, you may not have picked up on that. But yes, there are, and it, it just so happened the nature of the of the trip that we were doing made it to where we were only interacting mostly with, um, mostly with males. You know, um, I didn't mention this, this is a kind of cool story when we were dealing with the brothers from the South. Um, the first day we got there, the translator who they were gonna, who was going to translate Farsi to English and English to Farsi, um, he couldn't be there that day. And so they had to get another guy to come in and do it. And he's younger. And um, his per, his Persian is 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 pretty good. But he learned the Bible in English. So he didn't know the Persian Bible real well. So he struggled a little bit. But he is very young. Like very young. Like in, probably in his 20s. And his... <laughs> okay. He's in his 20s. And um, he... Uh, his wife was there with him. He met his wife, another young twenty-year-old, who um, he met his wife online as she was teaching him English mm. online. And she is from Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, so Lizzie is from Greensboro, North Carolina. They just got married. They're waiting on him to get his green card, and they're coming back to the states. So actually, there's a good chance we'll get to meet. His name's Alex yeah and uh, Alex and Lizzie and so Lizzie was there and Lizzie was the only female really that was she of course she speaks English so she was the only female that was probably in the services with us and stuff she would sit with Alex um, all the other females were downstairs and were prepping meals and stuff and and were you know the pastor's wife but the pastor's wife at that church that we were at um, doing the ministry there, That pastor's wife was an ER uh, doctor, like an ER nurse uh, practitioner, and I got really sick. Um, I like, like I felt like I was gonna throw up, sick, and um, I just, still not sure what happened. I think it might have been, might have been acid. Honestly, it may have been too much of that bread. No, (laughs) probably too much of the coffee. Uh, I think I drank really strong coffee that morning that I had made, not not anybody else had made and i got really sick and i was, i feel like i felt like i was gonna throw up and um she took care of me she got me medicine she got me you know she she, she told me exactly what to do and uh, got me feeling better so i could go up and do my my teaching that day wow. so yeah it was kind of cool um so yeah there there's room there's definitely room for women uh in in armenia to, to minister to armenians and it's just that. Um, Armenian women are gonna, are, are, like American women who go, are gonna minister to Armenian women. You exactly, know, it's kinda, and that's the, the
3: point I wanted to make. That you know, you mentioned the Samaritan woman, right. And how she went to tell everybody. You know, Jesus used uh, women in his ministry when he was here. Absolutely. Mary and Martha, he included them in the teaching. Yep. So you know, it's it's really important that um, we understand that people are gonna group up based on common interest and yep. and lifestyle, and and so it's it's nice to. Um, to really point out that there's um, a ministry in that as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's 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 definitely a place for women to serve there as well. That's a great question. All right. Any, anything else? I'm curious. I'm trying to think if there's any stories that I didn't tell that I'd like to tell you guys. Um. Uh, one thing that was interesting of interest to in me was uh, when we first arrived to minister to our brothers from the south. We would be really transparent here and tell you I was nervous because we were base, we, we were basing our safety on the fact that our our Armenian brothers had done the work to vet these guys and we know that there's people who don't like what they're doing and so it wouldn't it wouldn't be too far fetched to think of one of them sneaking in as a spy. And you know, trying to disrupt what we were doing, um, you know, bring a bomb in or whatever, you know, or try to kill people. Um, and so there was there was a bit of unease when we when, when I first got there. I don't know if any of my other brothers thought, thought was feeling this or not. I was. <clears throat> and so when we arrive, we get there and they're serving coffee because um, coffee's everywhere. And um, they're like, hey, sit down with us and have coffee out here on these benches. So he wants to sit down with them, and we're we're, we're sitting with them, and they don't speak our language. We don't speak their language. And it's like, man, how are we going to communicate with these people? Well, the guy I was sitting next to starts speaking, and it's clear that, wow, he speaks really good English. And I told him, I said, Ben, your English is excellent. And, um, and he, said, he said, thank you. He said, I, I, I don't think I have a very, haven't got the accent down yet. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I said, your accent is really good, and you've got a good handle on, on the English language. You, you actually speak very good English. And other people were like, yes, you do. So he and I got to talking. And, um, and so I, I kind of hit it off with this guy. We were just talking about, you know, um, I started talking to him about, he's, he's actually the one that I, t- I spoke to about how am I going to proclaim the gospel and stuff. Um, so fast forward through the day. We go through uh, a, a few teaching sessions and it's time for another coffee break. And um, I, I'm over to the side and I hear one of the other pastors who went with us, Eric. And Eric's talking to this guy. Um, and uh, he, I hear him mention my daughter's name and my name. I'm like, And I went up to him afterwards. I was like, Eric, I heard you talking to him about my daughter. Why were you talking to him about my daughter? He said, oh, he said, um, he he um, he's an actor and he teaches theater. I went what? And I said, oh, I got to talk to this guy. So at lunch, I went and sat down next to him again, and he and I uh, were able to connect because if you don't know this, listeners, I I, I majored in theater in, in college. Um, that's what I majored in, and I'm very spent a lot of time studying theater. And he and I. We're able to connect on theater we both have been we've read the same plays and we, we were talking about our favorite plays we were he's played the same one of the same roles in a play that i would played and so both of us had played the same role and so it was just so cool to be able to sit and talk to this guy who had you know I, i'm going into this i'm nervous and i have no common ground and suddenly I I'm, I'm, I'm seated next to somebody who has complete common ground with me, not only in Christ but also in, in hobby as well in and, 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 and education and stuff. And so that was really neat and in a way that like it's it just sort of confirmed again to me the call because there's nobody else on our team who could have talked to him about that stuff with me because they don't they haven't studied it. and, and here I am able to make a connection. So it's like God said, yeah, I want you to go specifically but because I've got things I want you to do um, and people I want you to interact with. And <clears throat> I just thought that was really cool.
1: I got a question. So you said you're kind of nervous about... Your like you're hoping your Armenian brothers have done the work to vet. Yeah. What What does a vetting process look like if you are an Armenian brother? <laughs> are Are you able to answer that without giving? Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I can exact uh, specifics sir? Or... So, they told us. <laughs> we, so we get there and they pull all of our team in to do a debrief with the Armenian missionary to the south, and uh, and with the pastor and with uh, our, 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 the pastor we've been working with too. So we're, there are three pastors there that we were working with, the Armenian missionary from to, the, to the south and the two pastors. And they debriefed us on how this week's going to go because we're going to be there with these guys for four days. And that, that's when they were talking about we can't do videos, we can't do pictures, obviously, right? And, we, we, um, um, and they, told, they told us that in order to protect them, none of them know each other. They only know first names. They're not allowed to share contact information with each other. And they can't share contact information with us. That many of them didn't know each other before coming coming here to the, Armenia.
1: The Armenian pastors. No, mm, no, or, well, the brothers from the <laughs> south. Oh, oh,
0: okay. Okay, I'm tracking. That we were told that the brothers from the south didn't know each other until they got on the bus They're to the ones isolated. Okay. To come to Separated Armenia. Okay. okay, yeah. So we were told that they didn't know each other and they couldn't share contact information with each other, um, that they only knew first names. They weren't allowed to take pictures and videos either because all of that stuff can be used against them when they get back to the South, right? (laughs) All right, so, um, but and then one of the coolest things I saw um, was they said every one of these guys has given their testimony to follow Christ and handwritten it out. And we have it in a book. And they pass this book to us, this notebook. And in Farsi are all these handwritten testimonies about, you know, these... So that was their vetting process. Yeah, yeah. And so that plus they trusted the pastor who is overseeing those guys is sort of the over shepherd of these guys in there in the South. Okay. There's a, so there's the Armenians who are ministering to these guys, but these guys in the South have a pastor who is sort of serving as their over shepherd. And what we discovered was, is that I don't think the Armenians did a great job because, um, because, they did, many of them did know each other, had been friends for a long time, in fact. They knew each other through this, because they're all part of the same house church network. Um, and not only that, but one of the guys, 67-year-old man um, that was being baptized, right, um, had been waiting, I think he's the one who maybe had waited 25 years. He's 67, and I watched him get baptized, brought his son with him. And at lunch, we we're talking and he's trying to convince us to tell his son that his son needs to go back to studying to be a doctor again. And he's trying to convince us to tell his son, hey, you need to be doing these things. Well, we started, Rick asked about the son's, you know, well, how, you know, what's your story, you know, about how did you um, find Jesus? We find out he's not a believer and uh, and um, but he's seeking and so he came with his dad his dad brought him but he's not a believer and so we had an opportunity to talk to him and it was cool because Alex was sitting with us at the time and Alex was translating for um, for us and for him as we shared and and at first, you know, Alex said he doesn't want to say why he, he's not a believer. And we're like, well, that's fine, you know. We're not, and, and Alex said, hold on, let me talk. And so Alex would talk to him a little bit. And what it basically boils down to is, is that where he's from, religion is forced on you. And he doesn't want Christianity forced on him he uh, and if there's any kind of sense that it's being forced then he doesn't want anything to do with it Mm. and his father is very vocal (laughs) very very vocal and um, and you get the sense that much like with other Asian and Eastern Middle Middle you know Middle Eastern cultures and stuff the, the the will of the parent is really prominent, right? And so um, there was that going on. And so um, he wasn't quite, he, he's not quite ready, but he said he's seeking. And so we told him, I told him, I was like, I believe because my Bible says that if you earn it, if you truly are seeking, you will find God. Mm. You'll find the truth. I believe you'll find the truth. So as long as you continue to seek and truly seek, I believe you will find the truth. And so, and we, so, and, you know, and that's it. I think you'll find that Christianity is true. So, um, yeah, that was an interesting moment in terms (laughs) of, in terms of the vetting that you're talking about and whether these guys were all believers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, (laughs) to find out, oh, and the thing is, is that like there were there were guys there that they didn't trust each other. Mm-hmm. They really didn't. They there was there was a lot of distrust because, and for good reason. I mean, they had brought people over before um, from the south. Translator, translate uh, that, that they brought well, when they came back across. Apparently, the translator spoke too much, or or was a spy, and. Every one of those guys got arrested. Mm. Every one of them, and so that's why we have to be very cautious with how we say things, and um, because we don't want to run the risk of getting them in trouble, exposing right. them. But there were guys that were like, I don't know whether I can trust you or not. I, mm. I don't. I mean, there was one guy, the, the the young man who I think I've shared with you all um, saw his mother witnessed his mother being shot for what she believed and she survived it but he is obviously very much um, on edge and he kept coming to me he, he would look at me and he, he would say he said a couple of things one time he said "He said, um, your people are very honest your people are very honest and very transparent he said my people he said are not you can't believe anything they say you can't believe anything they say. They're all liars. They're all filthy liars. <laughs> and wow. so, and he said, he said, um, and he well, would, because
2: that's one of the tenets of, of being a Muslim. <laughs> you can lie yeah. to, to uh, propagate
0: their, their faith. Yeah. So then it's not a sin. He would, he looked and said, he, you know, a guy walked by, he goes, I don't trust that guy. I don't trust that guy. I think that guy's a spy. Don't say, don't don't, don't believe anything he's saying. He's a very good actor. Like, wow. like that, so there was that much, and he was genuinely afraid that when they got back to the south, that um, and trying to enter back into the south, that they'd be found out. Wow, um, he, he said. And there's, there's nothing I can, you know, there would be nothing I could do, because what if that person has had, you know, I, I, I can say no, I well, I, that didn't happen. He said. But what if then they had a, they had a camera and they were taking pictures the whole time, and they say, look, see. He, here he is with them and stuff. He said there's nothing I can do. So So did, did that It's dangerous. Right.
1: Did that trust build within the people that week or
0: did it just kind of stay I don't think so. Not there, there were some guys in who, their
2: context
0: probably didn't. I got know, you. I think there were some guys who and, and think about that. Think about how hard it is to I mean, for us, there's 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 distrust among Christians in in here in America. Um, even in an American church, that can that can serve to disrupt the work of the kingdom, right? Right. In that context, you need one another so badly, but not knowing whether you can trust someone and think about how that can derail yeah. the the kingdom work. Mm-hmm. It's just um, it's uh, no, I don't. I, there were just some people. There were they were kind of cliques, right? I, I know I know these guys because I've I've been friends with them for twenty years. I don't know these guys over here, so no, I don't necessarily fully trust them. And so they, there was sort of these kind of cliques that were this group over here doesn't necessarily trust this group over here. So yeah, yeah. Wow. But so yeah, that's 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 kind of uh, it, it, it was it, it was difficult uh, for them and, and difficult uh, to try and minister to them, and and, and we were worried that they they. We were assured, though, um, on the day we left, we, we got word that um, they were all safe. So, okay. Good. Yeah, they're good. all good. I have all their first names, or a bunch of their first names, in my phone, and I pray for them frequently when they come to my, my mind because they need prayer a lot, so yeah. Um, all right, so we're almost out of time, and we didn't even talk about the other, but we can spend a few minutes talking about it if you like. Um, so uh, I talked at length yesterday about understanding suffering because they are a suffering people and I think it's difficult for them. Um, you know, I'm sure that there have been times where they've asked, why did this happen, God? Why did you allow 1.5 million of our people to be killed when we were a Christian nation? Why, why, why did we lose 90% of our land when we were following you? Mm. I'm, imagine, you know, and it's much much like with the Jewish people. Only with the Jewish people, the Jewish people during the Holocaust, many of them completely abandoned faith. Mm-hmm. And they're, are, are, they're practical atheists today. They're only Jewish in, in ethnicity, but they're not Jewish in their faith. Um, the Armenians are still Christian, even despite what happened to them. They're not... They're Christian nominally. But they are... There's still people there who who... Who um, go to the North Armenian Apostolic Church? There's still people who attend churches. Not many of them, but they do. Um, and so it's interesting to me that that they've not given up. And um, but I could see I could see why a people group might. You know, it, it would feel like you've been. You know, you feel like maybe you've been abandoned. And um, so that's why I. You know, I went to that Lamentations passage. Because in the midst of my suffering, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, I'm depressed. I'm hurt. Um, I, don't, I don't get this, but the thing that I do know, I do know you're sovereign. I do know you're in control. I do know you love me, and I do know you're faithful. And, and so because I know you're a good, loving Father, I can trust you.
2: Well, and the cool thing about that, when I thought about that Jeremiah passage, was that... Uh, Lamentation. Lamentations I mean, yeah, Lamentations Passage where Jeremiah wrote limitations. That yeah, be, uh, was that uh, it was written during that time that the same in the same geographic area, mm-hmm. same people groups that mm-hmm. were dominating the world, yeah. dominated Israel, then dominated Judah, and and everything that happened to them basically happened to these people. Mm-hmm. So they have they have lived an Old Testament. Existence in the modern world, yeah. So to speak, and so I could see where exile, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I can see where that passage, especially because those first twenty verses you read, it's almost like was Jesus? What happened to him? Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, and everything came against him. He's like, I'm just beaten and brutally taken advantage of, and Mm -hmm. it's like I'm here, and you don't even care. You know, Jesus cried out, "You've you've you've forsaken me." Right then he remembers you know your mercies are new every morning great is thy faithfulness which then became this huge hymn Mm -hmm. that was written on the bouts of suffering too so yeah uh, so I can see where there's a good parallel there because it is a modern day retelling of what happened during that time in the same same geographic area same kind of people group same uh, uh, fierce warriors who are fighting for a cause that yeah. It's not really a righteous cause, but they've made it a righteous cause. Yeah, because they they think they're right with God, and their God is the one that should dominate everybody. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It um, going into it, I mean, I I, I was even I, I I didn't even think along those lines. It was it was more um, I had as I thought about how to understand suffering, I just recalled reading that passage. And actually, what had happened was I was having a conversation with with David Phelps, who had lost his wife three years ago. We were just talking about understanding evil and how. And he was telling he was telling me the passage that helped him was Habakkuk chapter three, mm-hmm. where um, even if there's no, you know, animals in the stable, even if the vineyards aren't producing grapes, even if there's no. You know, there's no food, even if there's no what you know, there's no temple, I am still gonna worship you. Mm-hmm. Right? Even if everything else falls apart, I'm still gonna worship you. I still trust you, I still have faith in you. And I told David, I said, that reminds me so much of this passage I've just ran across recently, Lamentations three. Let me share that with you. And I'm like, look at this, this guy is like beaten up, and then in the midst of his cries, he says this, and I got really excited as I'm telling him this. And I thought, man, this is good. I, I maybe use this. Within, I'm going to use this passage when I when I talk about this greater good theodicy um, stuff, you know, um, in in an apologetic sense. So uh, it was it was it was really cool. Um, and that passage I had just run across in a devotional one day, like a month ago. I hadn't even thought about it and didn't even know about it. Ran across it, and so God was just kind of setting all the dominoes up as God often does through His Spirit. Um, and and then just you know, all of them fell right into place at the right time. It was just it was really amazing.
3: Well, when you mentioned Lamentations and you, your sermon about suffering, and it, I connected with the Psalms. You know, I thought, well, you know, the Psalms is where you know we we see that mm-hmm. I think the most, and David and um, so i started looking at psalm 13 and in the notes of this chapter it talks about a triangle and i know because i've studied you know behavioral science Mm -hmm. there's a thing called the cartman drama triangle Mm -hmm. where you have the victim the persecutor and the rescuer Mm -hmm. and a lot of times we find ourselves in that triangle you know david at the beginning of this psalm is the victim and he's crying out to god to be the rescuer from his enemies who are the the persecutors persecutors, and at the end of the psalm, he takes himself out of the triangle. And that's what we have to do in mm-hmm. suffering. We have to realize we're not the victim. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and so um, it's very important because we all get stuck in that triangle at some point or another. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really um, a good way to, to remind us that you can't stay in the triangle. Because yeah. to stay in it is to just... Um, embed yourself in suffering.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's good. That's really good. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just... I, I The more I thought about it, the more I thought about that Genocide Memorial and Museum, and I probably haven't talked about that enough, that really had an impact on me when I went there.
4: Because, and I don't know,
0: maybe you guys studied it in, in school. I never studied it. I'd never heard of it. And I'm like, how is it possible... That 1.5 million people could lose their lives in these brutal massacres. 3.5 million being exiled from their homeland. And I've never heard of it. I've heard all about the Holocaust, but I've never right. heard about the Armenian genocide. I Genesians. think that's probably
2: overshadowed everything.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and, so, and so I just think that, that we don't talk about it because I think that... Again, for a long time, I think we were trying to protect our interests with Turkey. Turkey doesn't like it being talked about. And so from a political standpoint, it just was never mentioned. I didn't tell, you, I didn't tell this to the church yesterday, but one of the things that will resonate with you when you go through that museum, on the wall, uh, there's a staircase as you're leaving, as you're, as you're kind of coming out of the main exhibit. On the wall of the staircase, written in three different languages, is a quote. And it says this. It says, after all, um, after all, no one ever talks about the Armenian genocides. And the quote's from Adolf Hitler. Mm. Hitler used the fact of the silence surrounding the Armenian genocides to justify his... He's like, look, we can do this to the Jewish people. Turks did this to the Armenians, and nobody ever talks about them. Wow. Wow. They did get overshadowed by him. Yeah. Yes. And so um, yeah, that's brutal. It broke my heart walking through that and seeing what had happened to these people. Um, and they, they weren't antagonistic towards their persecutors. They weren't they weren't they were trying to live peaceably with them. Um, but the Turks just weren't weren't gonna have it. They, they wanted they were aggressive. They always have been aggressive. And um, they they were aggressive and went after them and and destroyed them and I that that resonated with me and then seeing that memorial and her, I, I told me there's two memorials there's one that's there's one that you see more frequently in pictures in fact when Pelosi went there you, you um, she was standing at the fire pit that's in in the middle of it there's a picture of her uh, there there's there's it's um, it's round, it's round you could see it there, but it's like petals that kind of come up, like stone petals that rise up to the sky, and they make the petals kind of come together, they, they point towards one another, and they're in, a, in the round, right? There's 12 of them, and each petal stands for a province that they lost in the Armenian Genocide, okay? And then in the center of this, there's, there's stairs that go down into like this pit, and there's a flame that they keep burning there, and people come and lay flowers around that flame and during the anniversary of it which is in they, they, they it's in february <clears throat> the whole thing is filled with flowers um people come from all over to lay flowers there to remember what happened to the armenians but the and 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 assador was explaining all this to me you could tell i was interested in it and um when uh when we went out, out to the other memorial, the other memorial is this tall that tall tower. And I looked at him and I said, what does this mean? He goes, that represents the cries of the people that went up to God during the Armenian Genocide. These are the cries of the people pointing up towards God. And I just had to think, man, all these people cried out to God and they still lost their lands and they still lost their loved ones and their kids were still sold into slavery and Nothing changed. How they must have felt abandoned, and they must have felt like God didn't care about them. And and now here they are, cent- a century later, and it's right back to losing lives, being attacked on their borders. Um, they, they can't seem to to win for losing, and they're 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 economically <clears throat> devastated, and they're just de- they they feel defeated, and you know. Some of our guys noticed this. Um, Aster was pretty upbeat all, all week with us. The morning of the 13th, when the Azeris shelled the cities that, that day, his countenance completely changed. It was, it, he was back to being very... And Paul had told us when... Paul Langston, the guy who directed the trip... He had told us when back when he had been there, he said, I've never seen Asseter so upbeat like this because normally when I see him, he's very, he's very somber and stuff. And he said, he said, he was, he said that that's why. Mm -hmm. Because, and and I talked to Asseter and I said, because this was after the ceasefire, I said, Asseter, I said, I'm reading about this and it just sounds like this is so, this peace that's being brokered is so uneasy, went very uneasy. Very uneasy. They're scared. They know. We were there um ministering to the brothers from the south, and on one of the last days we were there, and one of the guys is up there trying to teach, and all of a sudden you hear this loud jet engine just over, over overhead. And we heard like three or four of them. And I'm like, Well, wow, that's that's really loud, you know, and and found out later, like um had told Paul, he said. He said it's it's they're they're preparing for, for war against Azerbaijan. Mm. They know they know it's coming. If you listen to the prime minister from Armenia speak, um, the words that he said was, we knew that one day this was gonna happen. We knew that one day war was gonna happen. And so they're just hoping to survive it. Because if Azerbaijan comes after them, that they if nobody comes to their aid and see when Azerbaijan attack them over Karabakh that property and they they nobody not even the US came to help them mm-hmm. for 44 days they were on their own for 44 days they lost 6000 sh- soldiers and like I said that's like losing 500 that would be like America losing 500,000 soldiers in 44 days
1: mm-hmm.
0: with nobody coming to help them nobody nobody came to their aid and they felt really alone. And it matters to them. It it really matters to them whether our people come and help them. Because we're supposed to be allies with them. And so often they feel like they've been abandoned. So, yeah, that's the kind of situation that you're, you're speaking these words about understanding suffering to. They, they really are suffering people. And so... Um, we, we, we've got overtime here, so we'll, we'll stop here. Thanks, guys. This has been fun. I've enjoyed getting a, chance to, getting a chance to talk about it. I know we didn't get into Scripture as much as we normally would, but um, uh, hopefully this has been informative for our listeners too. Listen, next week um, we'll be back here on Monday, I believe. Um, I don't think there's any reason why we wouldn't meet on Monday, uh, but it'll be after homecoming. Uh, we're going to have our guest uh, preacher, Nick Decker, is going to be here, a former children's pastor. Uh, and the guy that Blake gets com- gets, com- uh, you know, gets uh, confused with all the time. So I am not preaching Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, um, <laughs> but no. Uh, so Nick is coming. Uh, I don't know what he's going to preach on, so we'll yeah, just be surprised.
2: Whatever the Lord lays on his heart. Yeah,
0: so we'll just be surprised, and we'll talk about that on the next Monday Main Point. Thanks for tuning into this one. Uh, we'll cut it off here. Uh, we'll see you on the next one. So long.